The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Happy Thursday, everybody. As everybody knows, my show very much reflects the times. It's a show about branding, and therefore, the show has to reflect current events. So all of my listeners know I've been talking about the economy, the economy, the economy, and jobs, jobs, jobs. And in that vein, we've been interviewing a number of experts that know a lot about the workforce, and hopefully people can learn and apply it to these very, very challenging times and their career paths. So today, we have Amy Hirsch-Robinson, who is the principal of um, Interchange Group, a corporate management consulting firm that paves the way to success and profitability um, for future. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for having me. You're very, very welcome. The future workforce, how demographic shifts are changing how we recruit and retain top talent. That's your firm. That's us. That's, that's all you. Tell us how you got to where you are, Amy. Well, I started my firm about five years ago when I saw sort of like a perfect storm brewing in American business. We, I was watching uh, the demographics, and what I was noticing was that we were having these pretty massive demographic swells start to really change the way uh, people started to think about work. We had uh, older generations like the traditionalists and the baby boomers who made up over, definitely over 50% of the workforce and probably up to 90 million people in the workforce. And they were just a huge portion. But then coming up behind them on the other end of the spectrum was this, this new generation called the millennial generation. Sometimes people call them Generation Y. Um, but they were also a very huge generation. They are over uh, 75 million right now. And in the middle of those two big demographic swells was this very small generation, uh, the generation known as Generation X. And they were they are only half the size of the baby boomers and the millennials. So we have these, these two waves on each side and this, this middle um, real valley that uh, I saw really changing the way um, corporations look at their workforce because there wasn't going to be, as our population aged, a one-to-one replacement ratio. In addition, I saw that the generations themselves had very different attitudes towards work and towards life and towards communication and, and basically how everything in the workforce got done. And this was causing a lot of conflict. Um, one other thing that I noticed was that the technology divide between the younger generations, Generation X and Millennials, and the older generations, the baby boomers and the traditionalists, was very wide. 
and this was going to cause a lot of problems uh, in the coming years. And so I really wanted to start addressing this in, in a more systematic way, helping employers bridge some of these generational divides that they were facing by by really targeted programs and really helping them stay sustainable. Amy, if you could talk a little bit louder, I think we'd have an easier time hearing you. Okay. As we go forward, um, it's it's a whisper, but um, we know that you have some really exciting things to say. But in repeating what I've heard so far, that there has to be a consciousness of generational differences in the workplace. Um, Employers have to really understand the behavioral differences of each of these generations. And if you could repeat again the markers, how are each of the generations defined? Sure. So we, I'll start with the, the oldest generation, the most mature, and those are the traditionalists. And by the way, how's the volume right now? The volume is much better. Thank you. Okay. The traditionalists, traditionalists are, they're born approximately 1925 to 1943, which makes them in their late 60s, 70s, and early 80s. And the influences of these generations were, were things like the New Deal and the Great Depression, World War II and the GI Bill, uh, the golden age of radio and the silver screen. And we have this, this notion, this, this concept of play clothes versus school clothes for this generation, which really defined how they saw the boundaries between professional and personal. And what all of these influences had in common was a really strong association and benefit around institutions, whether that be the institution of marriage or the armed forces or government or corporate America, what this generation found was that if they listened to the institutions, good things would happen to them. So as a result, they're very patriotic. They're very loyal. They're very financially conservative because they grew up in either during or in the aftermath of the Great Depression, but they're also very faithful to institutions. And so their values are around authority and hard work and delayed rewards and honor, and they were the generation that really served the institutions and built them up to be strong and built what is now known as the traditional organizational hierarchy that we've all inherited. So even if we, you, you don't think that you work for a traditionalist or work with to tra- the traditionalist, you have to understand that we've inherited their legacy, and it's, it's an important legacy. But in contrast, and each generation really is a contrast to the generation that came before them, we have the baby boomer generation. And they are obviously a very well-known generation. Um, they are in their late 40s, 50s, and early 60s. And there are about 80 million baby boomers out there. And so because of their size, it makes them a very competitive generation. Boomers have had to compete for everything in their lives, from the first spot on the cheerleading squad or, or the football team to that first job. And they're always competing. But what makes the byproduct of that is that they have become, as a result, very politically adept. So they're really good at navigating politics, navigating relationships to get their needs met. Um, and this is a really big strength of the baby boomers is that they, they, they have really good relationship skills. Some of the influences for the baby boomer generation are around uh, the Vietnam War, Kennedy and the King assassinations, women's and civil rights, uh, TV and rock and roll and the moon landing. And, and these influences were, were much different because they really represented this tumultuous uh, time in American history. 
And so it created the generation that really started to challenge authority. If the traditionalists started to really strengthen or build the institutions, baby boomers were the ones to challenge those institutions and start tearing them down. Um, they have very strong values around professional identity. So, you know, what's the first thing that a baby boomer asks you when you're at a party? Oh, um, where you're from? I don't know. It's usually what do you do? <laughs> what, what do you do for what do you, how do you make your living and th- this really just represents their their profound value around their professional life and how how much they've had to work to get to where they are and so the esteem around that is is pretty strong um other values that we see especially as it reflects and you know this in PR as it reflects in marketing is that value around health and wellness so that the striving to, to stay healthy and stay well, you can see the consumer market really picking up on that and advertising to them. Um, but they're just, they're incredibly optimistic and they have a, a real val- strong value around material wealth. They watch their parents, their traditional parents, toil away at jobs for a very long time and then retire and in their minds not show a lot for it. And Baby Boomer said, you know, I don't want to work so hard at a job I don't like. Um, only to retire and spend a couple of golden years um, traveling. I want to enjoy some of that now. And so that really spurned a new value around material wealth that still holds the baby boomers strong. Well, the loyalty still remained, didn't it, with the baby boomers? We talked about their um, prior generation having very, very strong institutional loyalty. But wouldn't you say some of that stuck with the baby boomers? It did. It did stick with the baby boomers. So boomers... Um, they recognized that when they came into the workforce, they had to um, they had to work hard. They had to compete, you know, obviously because there were so many of them. So um, I'm not sure if it's as much of a strong loyalty to the traditionalists or to the institution itself as as, as it is a strong pride around where you've gotten, what you've achieved, and wanting to hold on to that. Got it, got it. No, well, so it, it is a little different, but also there was the challenge to authority, which their parents didn't didn't have. They That's were too right, and boomers are always recreating themselves. I mean, they're very good at, at redefining uh, everything in their lives, and, um, and because they're such a big generation, they, they do that in mass. So boomers, as they age, are going to really re- redefine retirement. We, we like to call it recalibration and not retirement. Um, because we think that boomers, um, for two reasons, are never going to retire. A, they can't afford to, and B, it's not in, in their, their DNA to just stop. No, no, that's understood. So we do have a graying workforce, so to speak. I, you know, the generation before us really did, when they turned 55, 65, whatever the age may have been, where Social Security kicked in in a generous manner, that's when they would go. It was a part of the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, there is no quote-unquote retirement lifestyle, particularly after, you know, the clause of this economy has changed our savings dynamics, et cetera. That's right. So, okay, so that's pretty much the boomer, and then there are other markers for other generations, aren't there, who play into... Right, and the best way to describe the, the generation below the baby boomers, which is known as Generation X, is really by comparison. So if baby boomers had the moon landing, then, then Gen X got the Challenger explosion. And if baby boomers had free love, Gen X got AIDS. And if baby boomers had, on average, five full hours of time with their primary caregiver and that that was usually their mother at the time, that number went down for Generation X to 15 minutes a day. So for Generation X, if 
baby boomers tore down the institutions, and Generation X had to navigate the aftermath of that. And so for them, they watched all of the major institutions around them, marriage, um, corporate America, all of them just fall apart. And so their influences uh, you know, were around corporate downsizing. They, they witnessed the tripling of the divorce rates. They were known as the latchkey kids. So they had dual-income divorced parents who were really looking out for themselves. And as a result, Gen X children had to look out for themselves. They, they let themselves into the houses after school. They made their snacks. They made their dinner. They did their homework. They took care of the siblings, and they did it all over again. So what happened with them is that it really fueled um, a very independent and resourceful generation, but one that was also very, very skeptical of authority, of institutions, um, and the workplace is a prime example of an institution. So just by default, Generation Xers, uh, they don't trust the workforce, or they don't trust the workplace, they don't trust employers, um, and they're looking for any kind of, of hint that things are not going well. So for them, let me let me interject for a second, Amy, mm-hmm. because I want to talk more about Xers, and we are heading toward our first commercial break. And I know you have a lot more to say about them, so we'll revisit the generational differences and markers as soon as we come back from this commercial. So stand by. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At BR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. BR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of BR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. BR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. There are all kinds of questions pertaining to health and wellness. What most people don't realize is that there are a lot of treatments that they can do themselves. Tune in to For Your Health with Dr. Mark Larson to discover these treatments and the answers to many of your questions about health. Topics covered will run the gamut from alternative medicine to the science of modern medicine. So be sure to tune in every week. For Your Health airs live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back with Amy Hirsch Robinson, principal of Interchange Group, a corporate management consulting firm that paves the way to success and profitability, um, in particular working with employers and talking about generational differences and how to best utilize these different markers and personalities to best work to the benefit of a company. So, Amy, again, welcome back. We were talking about um, Gen Xers, and you were talking about how, in particular, they're very, very important when we talk about the general, generational differences that are in the workforce today. Yeah, and, and the, the point I want to make, the reason why they're so important, it, because every generation is important, and we, we really need to respect that and we need to honor the strengths of each generation. But because we're facing some very different demographic numbers, we're going to be relying on the Generation Xers to lead the succession, navigate some of these shifts in the workforce for many years to come. So because Generation X is in the middle they, and because they are such a small generation, they are not going to be able to just um, fill the positions that boomers leave behind as they start to recalibrate because there's not enough of them. And the other thing is that they're not, going to, they're not necessarily going to want those positions. They, they have very different values when it comes to work and life. They value work-life uh, balance. They, they choose a job that is closer to home over more pay. They're making different choices because they don't have a lot of faith in institutions, in the institution of, of work. And so that presents some problems for employers. Gen Xers, they, they want to work hard. They do work hard. They want to stay engaged, but they're not finding a whole lot of opportunity right now to do so. And so that's a big danger from the employer standpoint is to say, how do we hold on to them? Because they're really the, the key to helping us navigate some of these shifts that are going to occur in the next five years, five to ten years. That well, well, I mean, it would really behoove a corporation then to really invest in training, leadership development, succession planning that's with this right. particular bunch. It, it, leadership development and succession planning really go hand in hand in this case because you need to look at how you are managing the succession of your older generations. And I don't mean that we're kicking them out the door. I mean that we're involving them in really critical strategic discussions around what is your role and what makes most sense for the organization? What are the, the strategic competencies that we will need for the future? And how are we going to get them? Do we have them right now in our workforce? And if we don't, how are we going to get them? So what skills do we need to give our bench strength underneath to help us grow, help us stay competitive and sustainable? Right. No, that's um, anything else you want to add about the Gen X, the Gen Xers before we talk about millennials? 
the the Gen Xers were the first generation to grow up with, or they were the generation to grow up with a personal computer, and that did change their mindset around efficiency and technology. So they they really value technology and how it aids in uh, getting work done, and that's a big difference between. Um, them and older generations. And well, they when we see, to, do, the Gen Xers clearly see the world through their mobile telephones and manipulate the world through their mobile units. It's interesting. When mobile telephones first came out, so or I, I tend to think of it like a, the PDAs, the Blackberries of the world. Um, when those first came out, the baby boomer said, oh, good, I can do even more in my day with this device. Well, a Gen Xer said, I can actually now balance my life a little bit better because I can be at the beck and call of my boomer boss who, who wants me on call 24-7, but then I can also go to my kid's soccer game or go to the dentist or do something that in my personal life that, that will help. But when a millennial sees this device, they don't even understand the conversation that you're having because for the millennial generation, remember these are people in their teens and 20s and just in their, they're just approaching 30. The millennials grew up with cell phones, with the Internet. They're also known as digital natives because this technology is just so native to them, and everybody else is a digital immigrant. So when you talk about um, not being able to breathe without your mobile device, we're really talking about the millennials here. Right. No, I love that. I, I love that. Did, what was it? The digital native to the digital? Immigrant. Immigrant. <laughs> That's perfect. Very, very perfect. So I think that by now we've spoken about, um, you know, the behavioral differences between generations. Um, well, you know, on the most part, do you have anything more to say about the millennial? Oh, we have a lot to say about the millennial. Oh, okay, I don't uh, want to. <laughs> Sorry. And they, we they are, a, you know, they're a huge generation as well. They're almost as big as the baby boomers, and so they get a lot of press. They get a lot of attention. Um, but they are they are slightly misunderstood. They're they're called the entitlement generation. Um, they are not they're the narcissistic generation. But really, where that's coming from is just this really strong sense of confidence that their parents have instilled in them. Um, they grew up during uh, an interesting time as well. They had the Iraq Wars and 9/11 and Columbine, all examples of terror happening in their own backyard. So their sense of personal safety is different. Um, they grew up, as we, we were talking about, with, with information technology. So their way of communicating is by texting um, and by social media. They don't email and they don't use the phone. And that's going to really, really change uh, the workforce in terms of how we communicate in an organization. Because when they reach critical mass in the workforce, which will be in the next five years, they, that will be the tipping point for us switching how we communicate to more um, interactive social media style platforms. And that's going to be a huge challenge for a lot of organizations that are holding on to older ways of communicating. They really have to re, they really have to redo their policies. Everything in terms of employee handbooks have to be rewritten. This all has to be taken into account. And I think when you and I were talking yesterday, Amy, we talked about the fact that the personal phone call used to be the marker of um, whether it was being abused or not in the workforce. And, you know, people in the workforce use telephones a lot. To do business, and I think employers have to start to learn that people use social media platforms a lot to do business too. That's right, and but that personal phone call was in a context of us working from nine to five. 
Exactly right. Exactly right. And so the right. boundary, of course you didn't make personal phone calls when you were on the employer's time, but now the employers are asking employees to work around the clock and be on call, answer emails, you know, in the middle of the night. So the, the lines are blurred in terms of, of those boundaries and what's appropriate anymore. No, everything has to be redefined. And, again, I just always think of it right now as the smartphone being the center of one's universe. And due to advanced technology, technically, everybody can do anything anywhere without having to be in the confines of a certain office space. Right. And so that's really going to challenge. And millennials will definitely challenge us to rethink our roles. Is it really necessary to have my butt in the seat for nine hours a day or eight hours a day? Um, can I do some of this somewhere else? And some, even for some roles, there is a, uh, a justification for being in your seat. And for others, it's less clear. And it is. I have to tell you, since we're going to um, start talking about how how this all plays together in the workplace in a second. I want to share with you a funny anecdote that took place this week. Um, You know, in our law office, we have a number of different generations. I mean, lawyers that are probably, you know, near 80 years old, in fact, that love coming into the office and, you know, doing work their, their way, and they think that that's the way the world is supposed to be. And I was leaving the office at um, 3.30 on that particular day, and he and his secretary, that's right, secretary, girl, (laughs) both said, wow, Cindy, you're so lucky you get to go home early. And I, I thought that that was just such a precious marker of how people think about the workforce differently. They think that I'm leaving and I'm going home to play. Right. It would never occur to them that perhaps I was having a business meeting and then running home to do catch up on my emails and, you know, certain design development all night long. It was really interesting. That's right. Very interesting. So tell us more about how this plays out. And Well, that's a great point because what you're really talking about is work ethic. So if you actually worked in that law firm they would be saying, you know what, Cindy, you don't have any work ethic. Right. No, exactly. (laughs) And and that's what um, we're hearing. uh, The older generations always, you know, they always talk about work ethic. That's the buzzword. Millennials, they have no work ethic. But millennials indeed do have a work ethic. They're incredibly ambitious, as are, you know, Gen Xers also have a work ethic. But they do work differently. And so a millennial is looking at this and saying, I'm going to be working for the next 80 years with the way that, that life is going right now. So why do I have to have this up or out approach to my career? And why do I have to do it on your terms? Why can't I enjoy a little bit of it now? Because it, life is just too precious. And so they are challenging this notion of work ethic, meaning only you know nine to five in the seat in that traditional model. Um, because they do work hard, but they just work differently. No, that's very, very true. We're coming to the last minute and a half of this segment, Amy, so I just want to wrap up. But what's interesting and I want to bring forward is the fact that I think that the people who are going home and working all hours are perhaps maybe even more efficient than those that work differently because the workaholics are still going to work even harder and more. They can be more efficient, um, but you're right. The workaholics will always just work harder and more. 
Uh, and then the people who, val- who value work-life balance are going to try and create a little bit more of a sense of boundary. So they are going to take breaks. But then they're going to get back online because, let's face it, we all need to earn a living. Um, and and if, if our employers are smart, they're judging us based on our output, although you, know, you and I know that's not always happening. Um, but the productivity is really important. So we have to still be productive. And so we really work with organizations to help them maximize the productivity of their workforce, um, but do it in a way that they don't lose their workers in the process. Well, as you can, as everybody can see from these two segments so far, um, Interchange Group is really a mandatory service for any corporation that wants to adopt to these multi generations. It sounds to me we're almost at um, it's we're we're at a you say the perfect storm, Amy. It's like the perfect play. This is probably the first time that so many generations with different attitudes have come together in one workforce. So listen, um, stand by, and after this commercial break, we'll hear more, Amy. We'll ask you more questions. We'll talk a little bit more about how this works in corporate America, and then we'll dedicate a segment later on to nonprofit. So stand by. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Stop wasting time. Get what you want. Live your dream life. The dream big revolution. Imagine having more freedom, better health, more money, happiness. Could your business be more successful? Unless you're living the life you want, you're wasting precious time. Your life is too valuable to waste. Let Leanne Hilgers help you find health, wealth, and happiness. Listen in and live your dream life. Join the dream big revolution. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on the 7th Wave Network. Never be satisfied. Let that be a lesson you take away from Double Time with Double D, featuring businessman and former NFL star Dave Duerson. We'll talk about the NFL with special focuses on the game itself, and Double D will take your calls and answer your emails live on the show. It's not Football 101, but rather an in-depth look in the locker room, on the field, away from the field, and opening up the mind of the player. The program will also feature positive messages. So tune in to Double Time with Double D, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Hawaii Con! 
free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. We're back. We're back. We're talking about generational differences in the workforce. And I have Amy Hirsch Robinson, the principal of Interchange Group. And we were talking about how um, different behavior, different markers, um, different actions of the various generations that are now combined and have converged in the um, workforce today. And Amy, how does this all play out in the workplace? What does it mean for businesses? When we work with, with corporations, um, we, m- most uh, larger businesses have what's known as engage- employee engagement surveys. And even smaller uh, companies are starting to do these as a way to take the pulse of, of their workforce to see what's working, what's not working, whether or not they're really tied into the business strategy, and, and really whether or not they are engaged, which means you know, engagement um, tends to translate into whether how productive they are and how, how, um, what their intentions are for sticking around. And when we ask for those engagement survey results, and sometimes we do those engagement surveys for them, um, we ask for those results to be broken down by generation because it creates a really different um, viewpoint of the workforce, and it's pretty surprising to most employers. And what, what it tells us, typically what happens is that the baby boomers, the traditionalists are the most engaged, it's a stair step, and then the baby boomers are a little less engaged, and then the Gen Xers, there's a drop there, and they're, they're not as engaged, and then the millennials are the least engaged. And what that means for business is money. Because if they're not engaged, right now everybody's holding on to their jobs because of the economy, but the minute the economy starts to get a little bit better, they're going to be looking for new jobs, and they're going to go after that. So attrition rates um, are going to go up, and it's very costly for businesses to have to lose people, recruit new people, and hire them and get them up to speed again. So we really work with them on some more targeted programs to keep their employees more engaged, and we survey them about what they are, um, what would keep them more engaged. But for Gen Xers, it typically is around um, not only leadership development, so giving them more skills, to become better leaders in the organization, but also giving them a clear line of sight in terms of their career opportunities. And that's known as career pathing or career mapping, where we map out what the various opportunities are and how you might reach those different um, endpoints, what path you would have to take and what the profiles of successful people are in each of those roles. And that gives Gen Xers something to work for and it gives them a uh, good dialogue with their supervisors and management around um, what their own career development path should be. And that's very motivating for Gen Xers. And so career pathing and career mapping within the scheme of leadership development is, is a really important program to have in place. And can they, be, can they communicate to the millennials? Will, they, will the Gen Xers be able to bridge the gap and encourage the millennials to perhaps be more engaged because they are digital natives? They are, the Gen Xers are a good sort of liaison um, in terms of bridging the gap between millennials and the rest of the organization. Um, but millennials, because they, you know, they're kind of they're the ADHD generation, and so they're looking to have a lot of, of, of values around that more instant gratification. They've gotten feedback always at a push of a button. And when they come into the workforce, 
uh, and all of a sudden they're sitting at a job that is not what they anticipated, and it's not as fast-paced as they anticipated, they get disengaged very quickly. And so for millennials, um, if they have to sit through some boring orientation program and then have to wait a week for their computer to arrive at their desk, they're done. They're already looking for new work. Um, they can't wait that long. And so we really have to think about uh, throwing away that traditional orientation model where they sit through a benefits presentation. Get that stuff off, um, off get it onto the uh, corporate Internet or put it on a podcast and really redo your orientation so it's an onboarding program. So you have a step-by-step process of engaging millennials, getting their needs met from the very beginning so that you're ramping up or accelerating their time to productivity and you're keeping them engaged in the process. So what are you doing before they even start? How are start work? How are you um, connecting with them? And then what are you doing those first critical 30 days of work? That's really the make it or break it period for millennials. And then what is your process for the first 6 to 12 months? What are the skills that they all need? What is, what's the training that they need? Who do they need to meet with? What's the networking? And then what's the, what are the conversations that they need to be having with their supervisors around their own career development? Because that's, again, very motivating for them. What level of awareness do you find, Amy, that organizations have when you poll them or, you know, have them fill out, you know, some information about themselves, you know, do they have an awareness that this issue is so prevalent and, you know, or do you really have to make them aware? Some do, some don't. So if you're in the industry, let's say if you're in the aerospace industry, um, aerospace pretty much gets it because they are experiencing this this retirement boom a lot earlier. They have over 25% of their engineers eligible for retirement right now. And they actually have really nice retirement programs where there's sometimes even a disincentive to continue working. And they have a a real shortage of qualified younger talent. It's estimated that their supply is somewhere between 30 and 45% below need. So they are actually, they're doing something about it because their numbers are starting to reflect that. Um, And because of the, the nature of their work, their time to productivity from the time they get somebody in is much higher because it's such detailed, um, error-free work that needs to go on. So depending on the industry, they're going to see that demographic shift sooner rather than later. But I would say in general, most companies are still fighting it. Some some of the HR people are, are, are aware of this as they start to do their workforce planning. But the management, who is predominantly made up of Baby boomers and traditionalists are are really fighting it because their you know their attitude, uh, their generational lens kicks in to say, we're not going to bend over backwards for these younger folks. Nobody did that for us, and that's creating a lot of a te- um, tension. Well, that makes sense. Well, what do you recommend? Well, we don't recommend bending over backwards for any one generation. I don't think that's the right approach. Um, We really come to it from a bottom-line perspective of looking at what is your business strategy. Okay, that's your business strategy. What type of competencies and skills are going to be required to get you to that? And do you have them right now? And as your workforce ages, where are you going to get them for the future? And then you you start to look at the numbers um, and you start to look at within the organizational context and you realize that you are going to have to start doing things differently. It's a a question of numbers. 
Um, so this is not a blanket approach. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, do this for Gen X, do that for millennials. It's really looking at it within the context of your business strategy and your own workforce numbers and saying, what do we need to do? We know these attitudes are out there. We know these behaviors are out there, and it's going to start impacting our output. It's going to start impacting our, our profitability and our competitive advantage. I know. Well, it's... Um I, I have to say, in terms of corporate management consulting, it seems to me that what your company brings to the table is so relevant and so important. So I hope that when an employer is considering some kind of organizational um, input and consultation, that they really think about hiring interchange group because of the knowledge about generational differences, it seems to me that there's no better way to um, make an, a corporation more efficient than to bring these issues to the awareness of the CEOs and the boards that are running these companies. And I just want to add that if anybody wants more information about Interchange Group, you could look at www.interchangegroup.com. And Amy, I'm going to continue. We have a we have four more minutes, three more minutes in this segment. So I just wanted to ask, what is the risk of employers if they don't manage these demographic shifts? The risk is uh, it's pretty great. Um, and again, I hope our, your listeners know that by now um, we're really looking at it from a bottom line advantage and a return on investment. If they don't invest in some of these targeted. Uh, programs to start changing the way they manage their talent, they will become extinct. Um, I was talking to a, re- a large retailer the other day where their, all of their management is in their um, their 50s and 60s, but their client, their customer are um, the millennials. They're, they're the 16 to 24-year-olds. And this organization will become extinct if they don't embrace new ways of communicating and marketing, social media, um, Twittering, texting, all of the things that their customers are using. So for them, it's going to be a point of extinction. And then for other organizations, it's it's not going to be necessarily extinction, but they're going to lose profitability. They're not going to be competitive um, in, in the long run if they don't have a workforce that is innovative, that is engaged, that is diverse. They're just not going to be competitive, especially as we we look at the globalization of talent. We can get the best and the brightest from anywhere. And if we don't give them a little bit of what they need to be successful, they'll go find that opportunity somewhere else. Some other employer is going to figure it out and is going to uh, engage them better than you, and you're going to lose out on that top talent. I'm telling you guys, you got to wake up and smell the coffee. I mean, this is this is real. I mean, we're at a time of um, crisis in the economy, which is making workforces a lot more aware of dynamics in organizations and competition, et cetera. So this is such an important issue. Um, we're going to wrap up this segment, Amy. We're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about the nonprofit world in particular and how important it is for some of the leaders in the nonprofit world to really start understanding these shifts. So stand by and we'll be right back with the Interchange Group.
talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com money we love it we hate it and everything in between you can be the master of your life and your own economics join professor laurie lamantia each week for the program making peace with money laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness you'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're back with Amy Hirsch-Robinson, principal of the Interchange Group, and I have to say, I think I forgot a dash when I talked about the URL before. It's www.interchange-group.com. Is that right, Amy? That's right. Okay, so I forgot the dash, www.interchange-group.com. Okay, welcome back, Amy. I think that you've given the listeners a very broad view of the really important dynamics that go on in the intergenerational workplace. And what I would like to talk about now a little bit is one particular industry, and that's the nonprofit industry, because when we were talking yesterday, you had mentioned to me that there's a, part- there's a particular slowness in this category. That's right. Um, the nonprofit field, obviously, it's a huge field, and, and we work a lot in it. We love working with nonprofits. Um, and what we see is 
again, the demographic shifts loud and clear, but the nonprofit world is very slow to pick up on them, and we are seeing a huge crisis brewing. Uh, what I mean is that you have, again, an increasing shortage of qualified talent. We know that over 55% of the current executive directors of nonprofits are over 50 and, and if any of you are board members out there, you also know that most boards are made up of people over 50 as well. And that it, that's a problem from a succession planning standpoint. Uh, when you couple that with the fact that the careers in nonprofit are no longer seen as very attractive to younger generations, that's going to be a problem. There's a sentiment out there that the careers in nonprofit are no longer even required to impact social change. So millennials for years have been raising money on the side while they're in high school, while they're in college for for causes that they support. They know how to galvanize technology to impact uh, social change. And when they look at their rising debt from college, they're saying, uh-uh, I can't afford a career in, in the nonprofit world, But and why do I need it if I can still impact change on my own? So that's well, real- but they're such a great resource because if nonprofits would change their ways in terms of um, fundraising, you know, the ways that people raise money, um, they could see that they could open up so many more revenue streams to come their way if they knew, if they really understood that Twitter can be um, a fundraising tool. Um, you know, I, I'm surprised that they won't give that any kind of credibility when there's so much press about it. You and I talked yesterday about the fact that so many millions of dollars were raised through Twitter for the Haiti disaster um, and texting. Right. And that's, you know, unfortunately Haiti is a game changer. Well, that's the silver lining. The only silver lining of Haiti is that that's uh, it's really going to force this out into the open, that nonprofits can actually raise a whole lot of money in very, very small increments. It's kind of like what Obama did with his campaign. But when we, we talk about that with nonprofits, they're still reticent to, to acknowledge that, and they still think that the money, um, all the money should be coming from the grants and the foundations and the big donors. But we're saying is, no, you have two generations, Generation X and the millennial generation, that don't feel engaged with your nonprofit, with your cause, because you're not speaking to them. You're not speaking in a way that they would want to give their money and their time or, or work for you, and you need to change that if you want to engage, uh, your, engage that population for your own sustainability. And they will give money, but they're not going to give it unless they, they think that you're, you're talking their language. Well, I'm I'm hoping that somehow, some way, that this platform, this show, um, will reach the ear, ears of some people on nonprofit boards, and that they start bringing you in so that you could help them make more money. It's important that they're aware of resources like the Interchange Group, where you know they would really be investing in the growth of their nonprofits. Yeah, I would say that the biggest issue for nonprofits right now is going to be their succession planning, and I mean that from both a executive leadership and a board leadership perspective. If they're not actively thinking about who they need to groom to contribute to their organization now, they won't be around um, because they won't have people who think differently, think outside the box about um, 
the social impact and fundraising and um, nonprofit management in order to be sustainable. And I really mean sustainable because we're at such a tenuous time in our economy, and I've seen so many nonprofits not make it um, because they haven't been able to adapt quickly enough. Right. I mean, when you're talking to the, do they, is there any inkling or credibility given at all to social media platforms, or are you finding that there's resistance to it? There's so much resistance to it. Um, You know, nonprofits are are very traditional in how they're set up. They are very hierarchical. In fact, there was a study that was done, um, and they viewed, excuse me, the study revealed that the perceptions of younger generations to nonprofits was such that the nonprofits were so top down in their excuse me in their uh, their leadership, so it wasn't appealing to even be a part of it when you have such top top down decision making. And who's at the top? Um, more experienced, but also more senior and um, older generations who are holding on to the notion of what the role of the nonprofit should be. It should be advocacy. Um, it should be it should be something very specific. And younger generations are saying that's not attractive to me. I want the role of the nonprofit to be grassroots. I want to to help people now. I want the majority of your operating budget, or or I want every penny of my donation to go sh- straight to the cause, straight to the end end user of this. It's um it's amazing to me when I think about how much the millennials can actually bring to a nonprofit. Um, you know, they could feel like they're self-directed. They could feel that they could press the button and get that immediate impact. It's it's almost as if you couldn't get a better upside-down pyramid from the way that traditionalists think that can be beneficial. And and when in the past we've uh, boards have tried to recruit some of the members of Gen X and the millennials onto their boards, it hasn't it hasn't worked out so well because nothing's changed on the board and the decision making is still top down. And so you have a few token younger generation people uh, not being able to get a word in edgewise or be listened to. And right. that unfortunately is at the detriment of the nonprofit itself because you you know as we know diversity breeds innovation. Certainly does. Well, I hope that you find significant platforms, Amy, that you could convey this urgent message because it's we can't have the nonprofits disintegrate because of not understanding um, the new ways that fundraising can take place. Now we're up to the last two minutes of our show, Amy. Is there anything that you want to add to wrap all of this up because we touched upon so much? I would just like to come back to that demographic shift. You know, you used to probably, <clears throat> excuse me, I was frogging my throat. You, you probably in school learned about that demographic pyramid where you had the, the babies at the bottom of the pyramid and the octogenarians at the top of the pyramid. It was a nice sloping pyramid. Well, that's changed in our American society. That's changed into more of a population hourglass. So you have older generations at the top of the hourglass and you have younger generations at the bottle and then that generation X is that cinched middle. And that's a real bottleneck. And unless we pay attention to them and how they're going to help us navigate that shift, I think we're going to be in for a big mess in the coming years. So I I really want to make a plug for looking at all the different generations, including the traditionalists and the baby boomers, in, in how they can help 
organizations stay profitable, stay innovative. They have so much collective institutional knowledge to share. We need to get them to share it to the younger generation. So that right, well, we have to wrap. I want to say to all of the millennials that listen to my show, particularly those of you that are still in school, make sure that you have your future employers listen to the show because we could change the way people think. I want to thank you, Amy Hirsch Robinson, and you're the principal of Interchange Group. That's www.interchange-group.com. Thank you for staying with us. Thank you for all of the information. And everybody be safe this weekend. Signing off. Take care. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American idol. I've got synthetic pistols. I kill my mother to get out on the TV screen. I am a death row psycho. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 